Welcome to Cleveland Clinic Cardiac Consult, brought to you by the Seidel and Arnold Miller Family Heart, Vascular, and Thoracic Institute at Cleveland Clinic. Good morning, everyone, uh, and welcome back to Electrophysiology podcast from the Cleveland Clinic. I'm Osama Wazni. I'm the section head uh, of electrophysiology here at the, at the clinic. Uh, today, it is my honor and pleasure to introduce you to Dr. Hiroshi Nakagawa, who is joining me. Dr. Nakagawa is, uh, I hope, uh, known to all of you. He's a world-famous and world-renowned uh, electrophysiologist. His work has had seminal impact on what we do in the animal lab, in the human lab, actually, starting from the animal lab, uh, with uh, mapping and also ablation. Uh, so Dr. Nakagawa joined us uh, two years ago from the University of Oklahoma, and he continues uh, in that uh, tradition. He has been a pioneer in ablation and mapping. Uh, most catheters that you're using today have had uh, some validation on some aspects of them studied by Dr. Nakagawa. So welcome, uh, Dr. Nakagawa. Welcome, uh, Hiroshi. Good morning. Oh, thank you very much, Dr. Uh, Wazni, for a uh, very kind introduction for me. As the, uh, Dr. Wazni introduced, uh, I joined the Cleveland Clinic uh, two years ago, and uh, I feel I'm very happy and very you know, lucky to be a member of the Cleveland Clinic. And uh, I have been enjoying working with the uh, you know many faculties. It's a big team compared to the University of Oklahoma. It's a huge EP group clinically and also the uh, some of the uh, research, you know, people as well. So the, I'm very happy now to be member of here. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, let us uh, dive in quickly. Um, again, uh, this is um, uh, something we're really very proud of and we're so excited to have you with us. Can you tell us, uh, let's uh, let's uh, divide this into two groups uh, or three groups. We will divide it into the clinical uh, studies that you are working on right now. Then we will talk a little bit about the preclinical work that you are doing. And also, uh, lastly, we will talk about future developments and some exciting things that uh, you will be doing here at the Cleveland Clinic. So let's start with the uh, some of the clinical questions that you are trying to answer and clinical studies here at the, at the clinic. All right, uh, thank you very much, dear Dr. Wazni. And uh, let's talk about the uh, uh, studies, clinical studies ongoing now. One of the important study we call the fruits protocol, essentially using a radio frequency ablation catheter, 3D mapping system. And uh, as we know, the, uh, uh, I developed the uh, uh, ablation index to predict the uh, lesion site, lesion depths at each ablation site. Uh, this is a project of working with the Biosense Webster, and uh, that's already became the uh, uh, worldwide standard during the uh, RF application, how much power, what is the contact force, how many grams, and application time. And then we made a formula to predict the region depth each aberration site real time in a clinical setting. And uh, using uh, this, the uh, index, the, uh, and working with the uh, uh, Dr. Wazni and other EP faculty, Group, uh, we initiate the uh, fruits protocol. We performing uh, box isolation, and then you know for the uh, superior segment or anterior segment, we expecting like a thicker myocardium. So therefore, using like a target average index value around 600, 
considerable expect inverting wall, maybe the uh, you know target value like a 380-400, and we connecting those region ablation site by doing the uh, you know using this technique, the the chance first encirclement produce the uh, box isolation is quite high. So this is actually the circumference is more than 20 centimeter. You know, now that's indicating the uh, using this technique, even more than 20 centimeter long linear region, we're not leaving the uh, conduction gap much. That's great. But, yeah. And then, so they, this is ongoing in the uh, in a project, but the... Uh, and we're hoping to get uh, results um, probably uh, early next year, correct? Uh, yeah. For the, uh, yeah, uh, actually, uh, including follow-up data, but uh, uh, we hope we can present the uh, uh, this year Harvism Society meeting. That's perfect. That's that's great. So, uh, again, just to quickly recap, uh, you know, Dr. Nakagawa developed the ablation index, which is the standard now, um, you know, in labs worldwide. And I have to say it has simplified the way we do it. It's also made our fellows um, uh, more reliable and actually has contributed to their training yeah. uh, because now, you know, we have a target uh, to achieve and I have to report that uh, although I was skeptical in the beginning, uh, the clinical outcomes when I see them back in the OPD are, are fantastic. Patients are doing very, very, very well. And now this is this fruit fruit protocol. So the, we called it the fruit protocol because of different colors, orange, apple, uh, grapes. So that's why it's called the fruit protocol, depending on what index is achieved. Uh, it will further simplifies this. And if the if the uh, uh, findings are positive, and we have very minimal reconnection, then it really simplified the whole uh, uh, ablation uh, process. So thank you uh, about that. Now we know also another issue, uh, Hiroshi, Dr. Nakagawa, is that this issue of reconnection and also recurrence of um, atrial fibrillation. And it's always, you know, we go in and uh, you're not sure, you know, wh where to ablate, how to ablate. Do you really need high definition mapping to figure out uh, the reconnection site or not? Which system is better? Is uh, something like Arrhythmia from Boston Scientific better than, for example, than uh, high definition mapping with Biosense Webster? So can you tell us uh, more about that? And is there anything going on to address that issue? Yes, thank you very much, the Osama. Again, again, the uh, like a PV isolation, box isolation is effective, especially in patients with proximal fibrillation. However, persistent AF or long-standing AF patient, we need a, in on top of the isolation box isolation. So then, you know, I had a chance to work with the, uh, as the Osama mentioned, the uh, okay, Lizimia uh, R&D team and also the Bison's website, looking for the active AF driver, especially in patient after the box isolation, PV isolation, some patient back with AF recurrence. In those patients, more likely the uh, active AF driver outside the you know, previous aversion site. And then in those cases, the mapping is important. Look for the uh, uh, AF drivers, active drivers. And then we developed the, uh, like uh, we call flap map, looking for the uh, you know, activity, uh, AF activity, and looking for the localized the uh, re-entrance circuit. 
like we call the Aurora. And then, um, you know, this study uh, we call flap map study, we initiated the uh, last year and uh, expecting a total of 150 cases from the randomized demand center trial. Uh, we, we initiated a few months ago and uh, we analyzed getting, you know, data and then um, it's it's importantly the uh, because the nowadays the box isolation is reliable. We don't see much reconnection, even reconnection conduction is very poor. In other words, the uh, outside the pre-operation site, it's in a source of the uh, an active AF driver outside, yeah. uh, you know, box isolation, and they also like the ATM contributing as well. That's so great. Yeah, yeah, we're looking for the those site and the. Uh, Data still we need to analyze, but uh, you know, so far data is quite encouraging, and we identified uh, like a three major side right ATM and also the uh, three four major side left ATM outside of my bay. That's great. That's great. Thank you so much. So this is basically now more mapping for persistent atrial fibrillation to identify areas of uh, possible drivers or rotors. Now, also, there's the other one, the MAP uh, study, the MAP study, and I think that was uh, one that is yeah. a one-of-a-kind uh, study. Uh, so could you tell us uh, about it and why this one is also uh, so unique? This is a unique study, and I don't think, uh, you know, anybody else has uh, even tried to do such a concept. Yeah, this is also a very unique study. Thank you very much, Osama. The, uh, this is a, uh, you know, Lead by you know by the uh, uh, doctor I'm saying, and actually the uh, patient underwent PV isolation, and then uh, in those patient have some patient has some AF recurrence, and then we do we do procedure. Then we have the uh, blindly analyze the uh, data for the using a two mapping system, Bison's Webster Carter system and the uh, Rizmia uh, Boston Scientific system, and uh, we. Check the all four pulmonary veins, where's the reconnection sites, and then in each patient we use a two maps, and then we just compare blindly, and then which is the uh, you know more accurate. Of course, each mapping system has advantages and disadvantages, and we now the uh, prospectively randomize the comparison. Yeah. This kind of study never done before. And then we're collecting a very interesting data, and hopefully we you know we can present it, you know, one year later, you know. But it's yeah, a that, that's a, that, that's a, it is a unique and exciting study in that, you know, in each patient we're mapping them with both systems. The operator is actually blinded to to the data, to the mapping data. Well, you're going to ask, well, how how do you do that? We only see the shells, we don't see the activation. And then the patient is randomized to one or the other, and then the the operator works based on the one, the unblinded one, the the one that becomes unblinded based on uh, randomization. So that's a very exciting uh, concept. So now let's move on to the preclinical uh, lab and the work that you're doing there with high definition mapping and also ablation. Yes, the uh, you know like the last twenty years. Uh, we have tremendous improvement the, uh, in the mapping catheter, mapping computer, and the multiple industry is making a new system. However, still we have a space further improve, especially mapping the uh, complex arrhythmia, i.e. atrial fibrillation or even ventricular fibrillation. 
So therefore, the, uh, we'd like to have the uh, increasing, improving the uh, mapping resolution and density. So therefore, now we're making a, you know, deflectable multi-electrode catheter, like up to like 100 electrodes. The tiny electrode just facing outward and reducing a far field component. And then uh, we got some idea putting the uh, non-contact reference electrode in the center of the small you know, mapping catheter to identify the more local signal and reducing the far field component, improving accuracy. So we're testing this one for the using animal model, and we have three different catheters now. So the uh, hopefully, you know, after we get the FDA approval, we can initiate the uh, clinical trial as well in, at the Cleveland Clinic. That, that is great. That's great. And then um, touch briefly, if you can, on your work on uh, pulse field ablation oh. and where you think, you know, we're going with the, this. Is it uh, really um, as hyped? You know, is it fantastic? It's amazing. Or are there some things that we have to be cautious about? Well, thank you, Osama, again. Yes, a pulse field ablation, you know, we are talking about especially last three years. And then, Yes, this is a, people say this is a new energy source. Actually, historically spe speaking, this is actually old energy source. Before RF application, radio frequency ablation, we have the uh, direct current DC ablation, like uh, late 80s, early 90s. And it was effective. However, we have the adverse effect and we abandoned because it's essentially the uh, too much high energy producing a bar trauma, some complications. Then we got the uh, RF energy, and we, you know, change to everything the radio frequency energy, which is essentially the thermal energy producing a heating within the myocardium, and uh, we destroying the uh, you know arthrogenic tissue. But we know there's some limitations still, especially like a long linear lesion durability issue. Then going back to the uh, direct current ablation, but the, now the uh, you know, high duty cycle, very short microsecond energy application, you know, no bowel trauma, and we have more control. So then that's, it's not thermal injury, it's a direct current energy application to the myocyte that's changing the uh, myocyte, the uh, membrane permeability produce the conduction block or eventually necrosis. Then, you know, including a uh, uh, Cleveland Clinic, uh, we, initiate, we initiate already clinical trial. And the uh, doctor, you know, Wadney know very well. So we're putting the, uh, let's say, trachea catheter or focal ablation catheter, let's say, at the pulmonary vein ostium. You deliver the pulse field energy. It's quickly, you eliminate the, almost all the uh, pulmonary vein potential. Well, yeah. very wide area, no potential, essentially all potential is gone. Looks good. So therefore, the acute isolation, you know, like a procedure time, you know, decrease significantly. However, lesion durability still, we got to figure out. In other words, you're changing a membrane permeability, so produce the conduction block below the area. But doesn't mean the uh, it's a durable lesion. Yes, centrally durable lesion, but, uh, you know, surrounded by the very wide, you know, for the reversible uh, zone. So therefore, now I'm thinking the uh, even pulse-field ablation. We need a, like ablation index, and the contact is still important because we energy deposit to my side. 
So it's a you know exciting time to get a new energy source pass field, but still we need to figure out you know what is the best application, and yes. also there like a, you know clinically speaking, what is the clear endpoint for the procedure. That's 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 great. So these are things that I encountered. We you know we did the study, and uh, you know what happens is that we lose the electrograms immediately. But obviously, for those of us who have been involved in the studies, they know that it takes more than one application. So then we're required to apply even more around the same area. Uh, and that has to do with the fact that uh, just what Dr. Nakagawa just mentioned here is that losing the electrograms does not mean that you have a durable lesion. And that's why this is so exciting because we have to determine what is the endpoint acutely and then uh, see if that translates into clinical outcomes. Now, of course, the um, the clinical uh, trials are ongoing. We will find out. I mean, I am still very hopeful and uh, very excited about this because I think this is now the new way to go, but I think we can refine it and optimize it still more. And I think uh, this will be dependent actually on Dr. Nakagawa's work. So that that is great. So we covered now uh, some uh, clinical studies. We covered some preclinical work on on uh, mapping uh, and ablation and uh, clinical trials. Now, how about what's next? What is it that is uh, going to be take us to the next level of understanding atrial fibrillation mechanisms? Because you see, I think what's been happening is we've been ablating and we've been getting good results. But the basic understanding of what is it that is going on in the atrium that allows AFib to persist and that allows the atrium to continue to remodel and uh, support atrial fibrillation, we're really, you know, we're not sure. Um, so uh, can you tell us a little bit about the work that you think that is needed or that you will be doing for us to understand this even better? Okay, thank you very much, you know, Osama. This is a really important aspect we need to you know, explore the next five, ten years. The mechanism of atrial fibrillation is still not very clear. Yes, the anatomical approach, PB isolation, linear lesion, or box isolation, or mitosis sublation, yes, effective. However, some portion of patient has a recurrence area especially for their persistent or long-standing persistent AF patient. So then we got to figure out what's going on with the AF. Then, you know, still we need to, you know, the, uh, work with the uh, research people, basic research people. And the last five years, I had a chance working the uh, uh, optical mapping lung end of perfused heart model, providing a ultra super high density uh, High resolution mapping, like a special resolution, like a 0.1 millimeters, and even three by three centimeter area using a CCD camera, 262,000 points. I'm sorry, so they had too many. And the, the 0.1 millimeter, you know, the uh, special resolution simultaneous recording left atrium, right atrium, and then the uh, like a swine lung and dog. At the same time, we're putting the uh, like 100 electrode each, you know, chamber left atrium, right atrium recording simultaneously. So therefore, using optical mapping data as a gold standard, and then we simultaneously recording cataract mapping, then using, a, you know, optical mapping ultra super high density data as a gold standard, we compare the cataract mapping. 
And they would like to see how much we can see, where we cannot see for the cat by catheter mapping. And uh, you know, we explore the, uh, how we improve the uh, catheter mapping procedure for the clinical setting. So that's that, ongoing. That, yeah. That is, that is great work and it's going to improve our understanding of atrial fibrillation and also it will improve our understanding of the limitations of what we do right now and how we can improve uh, on that. Um, so any final words or thoughts regarding your research over all these decades, uh, Hiroshi? And, um, and then I will end with a few comments. Yeah, um, you know, especially we're talking about the uh, working with the clinically, preclinically in the last 20 years, atrial or ventricular tachycardia. And then, you know, still we have space we need to improve. And but the next five years, it's a very exciting the uh, timing because we're getting the pass feed ablation, improving uh, the high resolution, high density catheter, improvement mapping computer capability. I think next five years, I believe we have the uh, tremendous, the, uh, you know, improvement in next five years. Thank you, thank you, Hirosh. So, and this is uh, our, for our colleagues uh, who are in electrophysiology and who are uh, cardiology fellows who are interested in EP. Uh, it's some, it's exciting times at the Cleveland Clinic. Uh, with all of the clinical work that we do, the clinical research, the preclinical work, and also our fantastic faculty and collaborators. I'll mention a few of them, Dr. Hussein, Dr. Shrubek, Dr. Tegan, Saliba, Kanj, myself, Dr. Wilkoff. So if any of this excites you and you like it, please contact us. We'll uh, continue to grow both on the research side on, and on the clinical side. And as you can see from uh, what we just talked about and also because of our you know, very large clinical volume and fantastic outcomes that we track very carefully. Things are growing and uh, things are really very, very exciting. Uh, so uh, finally, I want to thank uh, Hiroshi Nakagawa. Um, I think uh, you're a pioneer uh, in electrophysiology, whether it was with from the beginning uh, pathways and WPW and uh, concealed pathways or AVNRT and then later ventricular tachycardia and atrial fibrillation. Uh, to the upcoming and new research and exciting research. So we want to thank you really for your legacy and for your vision and leadership uh, in electrophysiology. Uh, and with that, um, I will thank you all for uh, your attention. Uh, I'm on Twitter at OMWASNI and also by email. You can reach me anytime. And uh, once more, uh, thank you, Hiroshi, and uh, thank you for, to our listeners uh, for your attention. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. We welcome your comments and feedback. Please contact us at heart at ccf.org. Like what you heard? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or listen at clevelandclinic.org slash cardiac consult podcast.